0: Hi folks, my name is Girish Bally, the host for Back to Basics Another Back to Basics for another week. Today we are going to talk about the, what we used to deal with in healthcare and what we're dealing with now. What I'm saying is, from a digital point of view, from a transformation point of view, and how we are dealing with it today, is it making it worse or is it making it better for us, for us to get a better life and a better health? So guys, today I have a person her name is uh, Kristen, and she's an amazing person. I just spoke with her a few minutes ago right before the recording, but the sense that I got, and I hope it's the same way for her, is she's an amazing person, and she'll be totally happy to answer all the questions that I'm gonna ask today, and I'm so delighted that she's here. Kristen, how are you, and thanks for coming to uh, Back to Basics.
1: I'm great, thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. So, before we get into the details of healthcare and everything else, uh, I would like to know what does back to basic mean to you?
1: So, back to basics, I think, is really foundational, um, whether we're talking about healthcare or any serious societal issue that we're facing. Um, because at the end of the day, a lot of these huge, complex problems really require a very foundational understanding of the basics. Hmm. how we got
0: there yeah 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 thank thank you so much by the way uh because i i I guess you and i are on the same wavelength when it comes to uh uh back to basics and how it's supposed to be so thank you again for that uh so kristen before we go a little further let's talk about you and who you are and and what do you do and 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 i want to explain to people why i invited you to to this show
1: sure so a little bit about my background, I'm actually a lawyer by training um, and I practiced um, in corporate restructuring law for several years um, uh, in Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, before joining state government with the state of New Jersey, um, where I first was deputy attorney general and then was special assistant counsel to the prior governor's administration. And that was really my first, um, you know, uh, uh, learning experience with healthcare. I oversaw Department of Banking and Insurance, um, and the Division of Pensions and Benefits within Treasury, which was the health plan for over 800,000 um, New Jersey public employees. It's actually the fourth largest health plan in the country, um, and the second largest public sector health plan in the country. So, um, you know, over seven billion dollars spend. Um, and, and when the last administration ended, I was asked to go to the treasurer's office and help run the health plan. Um, and naively, I thought I could do anything and, and maybe I still do. Um, and I took on the job, um, I'm really excited. And uh, you know, over the course of my three years with the state and the state health plan, We, you know, we really did some great things. We saved, I think we're credited with saving over $2.6 billion Hmm. um, over those three years through various initiatives, including more creative procurement strategies, contracting strategies, um, more aggressive uh, oversight and accountability, financial guarantees. Um, Really everything that we did um, only enhanced our members benefits. We never took benefits away or increased cost share and actually, um, in February of 22, as a result of some of that good work, um, all of the teachers that were part of our health plan will get a one month premium holiday, as will their local school districts. So mm. not only did we you know, save a lot of money for the state, but a lot of that money is being given back mm. to the taxpayers and the members that contributed um, to the health plan.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Kristen, for explaining what you do and, and what you are, uh, what is the vision for the next uh, coming year uh, that we're going to be getting into, or I should say even the future ones. Um, so thank you again, by the way, uh, because it, it's definitely a, a tough work that you're getting into. And it's very, very tough decisions. Uh, people should appreciate people like you and even the law enforcement that we have also, because you know what we're living in a tough time now uh, we don't know what we're getting into uh, even though that we have already done 18 19 months of this uh, you know and i'm talking about the pandemic that we're living in uh, so thank you again for that and saving money at the same time uh, which is also a great big deal so thank you again so the healthcare, what we grew up with and today financially has changed in many, many different ways. I guess the investments are more towards technology and getting things better. Or are we spending more money on pharmaceuticals? What are your thoughts on these? I mean, where are we spending uh, the extra dollars and, or I should say, yeah, go ahead.
1: I mean, it's it's such a great question to lead with um, because I think if you look at over, let's say the last 20 to 30 years, um we are spending exponentially more on healthcare as and when i say healthcare i mean the system of healthcare right mm. we're approaching 20% of our gdp um going towards the healthcare sector as of 2021 which has just grown remarkably over the last few decades and when you look at the outcomes and the population health that we've achieved as a result of that financial investment one really has to ask are we getting our money's worth Hmm. and i am firmly of the opinion and and this might be unpopular but i i'm firmly of the opinion and i think there's plenty of data to back it up that we are not getting better health outcomes um our you know i think our mortality rates both as a result of covid but you know even before covid um we're not improving disparities in health outcomes amongst our, you know, uh, different, um, you know, economic, socioeconomic groups and, uh, you know, minority groups has just grown, not improved. Um, I, I would firmly argue that we're not getting our money's worth. And that's as a result of where the money is being spent.
0: Is it because uh, this thought process just came to mind? Do you think it's because we're getting more urgent cares versus going to the ER and and hospitals because now we're I mean, di- now now we're dividing right so how do, what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah so that's i'll take it as like a two part question sure. first the urgent care ER piece and then where i think we need to go and, mm. and why right so urgent cares as everybody who lives in a any you don't even have to live in a highly densely populated area to see the proliferation of urgent care centers that's right, right. And and the idea with urgent care centers was, initially, okay, you shouldn't have to go, if to level set, you know, just to, for the audience, a primary care visit in the United States is going to average around eighty dollars that's paid, eighty to one hundred and twenty dollars mm-hmm. that's for a standard PCP visit, right? Right. The urgent care center visit is going to average anywhere from two hundred and fifty dollars to $500. That's right. Right. And then an ER visit is going to average anywhere from 1200 on the very low end to like 2500 on the higher end for and and when I'm giving these numbers, these are for somebody seeing the the same earache or the same sprained ankle. Right. This is not like your acute, you know, gunshot wound. That's going right. To the ER This is right. So those are starting at three different prices. And Urgent cares came about as a result of people wanting to end, you know, having to go to the ER for a $1,500 visit for an earache. Makes sense, right? If it's on the weekend and your PCP is not in, you need somewhere to go that's not an ER, answer urgent care. Mm -hmm. Well, the business model of making $400 a visit versus $90 a visit in our, you know, general practitioner or family physician's office is very lucrative Hmm. and what you probably and your audience now that we're thinking about this will notice is urgent cares in the beginning were you know let's say a privately owned like a care spot or a a, you know you can name any of the little companies right that sort of popped up to fill this niche but now what you're seeing more of is i'm going to to guess with a lot of confidence is as you drive along that corridor in your hometown It's a hospital-owned urgent care, Mm, right? mm. Because they recognize that this is where the money is, Mm, right? mm. So the proliferation of urgent cares have now not only displaced the inappropriate ER utilization, but they had the the unintended consequence of also replacing that very valuable primary care relationship. Mm, Right. mm. If it's easier for me and cheaper for me to just go to the urgent care when I have an earache or when I'm having not feeling well and, and need you know uh, to see if I need an antibiotic? W- am I going to call my family physician and wait three days? Hmm. Or am I just going to show up to the urgent care, pay my $10 copay or $15 copay and be done with it? Hmm. But the loss of that primary care relationship in the U.S. healthcare system because we've devalued it so much hmm. has really, really hurt us. Hmm. And I think going back to are we getting our money's worth? Sure. If you look what you know, if you look across developed countries hmm. around the world and hmm. what they spend on healthcare and their health outcomes, you're going to notice that the predominant trend for those com- those countries that um, have better health outcomes and spend less. Hmm is you know some might say oh well socialized medicine blah 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 that's not it the predominant theme is an elevation and a real value given to primary care everybody in the uk has there was just a study the other day that showed how many visits that folks in the uk have with their primary care physician and the value that they see in that relationship that is the predominant theme and and one of the the notes that i wanted to make sure i you know, touched upon in our conversation today is where I hope to see the future of healthcare move. And that is in the rebirth, if you will, and the reemphasis on primary care and good primary care and advanced primary care. And we're going to talk a little bit about technology, but tech enabled primary care, because that, that is, I hope the future. And I think that's where we're going to find value um, and really start to not only, uh, you know, lessen the cost growth curve, but really start to bend it in the right direction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to definitely talk about the details there, but very quickly, if you don't mind, and if you can give a brief answer, what do you think we are getting forced to do less yearly checkups because it's getting too expensive for everybody, right? Have you thought of that? Yeah. Maybe there's a, 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 a you know, uh, what is it, the word that I'm looking for, uh, back uh, <laughs> backfire on us? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you do you mean as a result of COVID? Yeah.
0: Well, b- even prior, even prior, yeah. even before. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think screenings are, are um, an interesting topic because, and preventative services, right? So, um screenings and preventative services when appropriate are really key to better health outcomes and it's really high value care so it's a i think and it's a common it's you know it's a great question again to really get back to basics because as somebody that was you know sort of tasked with managing seven billion dollars in spend in the health care administration for over you know almost a million people mm-hmm. for the state of new jersey Um, I had to explain, you know, very often and very frequently that increased utilization at primary care and increased utilization at, let's say, physical therapy offices or increased cancer screenings when appropriate is really high value, right? Right. And we don't want to be penny wise and pound foolish when we're talking about, you know, You know, a good example is was you know, sort of the birth and death of the consumer driven health plan, because really all it did was prevent or persuade, you know, dissuade people from going and getting high value care, right? Because they had to pay out of pocket until they hit a certain deductible or whatever. Um, We want those people to get, you know, if they're having um, a low backache that could be solved through like, you know, a couple of months of physical therapy whereas if they let it go because they're concerned about how much that MRI is going to cost and a year later they're looking at a back surgery because they've you know they've they've ignored the pain that's right like that's that's just such low value care sure when we could really have inserted ourselves in the process sooner so being more smart about the design and how you you know it's I I think that that is one of the benefits of the Affordable Care Act Mm. was making preventative services free of charge for everybody. Um, But I also think that preventative screenings, you know, solely to check a box if it's not necessary, can lead to, you know, false positives or, you know, more invasive biopsies that might not be necessary. Um, So it's a balancing act. Um, As far as COVID goes, I think that we as we enter 22 and 23, we will have sort of an onslaught of later stage cancers. I think the numbers are already bearing that out. Later stage cancers, the the costs associated with delayed care will certainly be there. Um, you know, on the flip side, I think that we and I hope. That we as a society recognize a bit more the value of taking care of yourself because we do know that those with comorbidities and pre-existing conditions and a lot of the things that you know can be controlled by lifestyle and and you know like food and exercise yeah um can it really be a shield for us and keeping us healthy and protecting us from things like COVID? so i think that there are some silver linings there but absolutely there we will be paying the quote unquote price from a health perspective um, for a long time. Um, And I think one of the most difficult to unpack and see in the numbers will be the mental health um, uh, impact on our children and on our caregivers and really on society. But I mean, those are some of the more impacted groups as we move forward. Um, And I think we have to be very prepared for of course or try our best for that for a, a mental health crisis that is here and will get worse if we don't um try and address it as yeah
0: soon as absolutely you know uh, one of the comments is uh, I, I saw a, a a tv show yesterday uh it was uh, uh you know big band theory and one of the episodes where sheldon who was stuck in the hospital and he went into a room and he says that i'm scared to go to the hospital because there's a whole bunch of germs around him yeah. So, so just take that example, uh, times by a million of other people don't want to go into hospitals because of this whole germaphobe. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Because now, uh, just a quick answer on that, because you know what, it's a really tough answer to, to give, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, I actually think that that's fantastic. Right. Because we were way too quick to jump to the hospital as like our first line of defense. Right. You know, hospital acquired infections are responsible for like hundreds of thousands of deaths. That's right. And it's only increasing the American healthcare system. If interacted with in the wrong way, can be one of the most dangerous things to your health. That's right. You know that that exists. So um, just a quick anecdote our ER utilization went way down during COVID, obviously, right? Um, During, especially those first few months. And then it sort of leveled out, but still um, because of the folks like Sheldon and all of those like Sheldon who have said, I don't really wanna risk sepsis just because I have a sprained ankle. That's right. Um, And stayed out of the ER, like, there, there was a push, I think, by hospitals and the carriers to say, we need to get back to normal. And I was very much of the opinion, like, I like this new normal. This is appropriate ER utilization. Like, this is if you need sutures or an X-ray, right? Um, or, you know, you're experiencing heart pain or chest pain. Like, those are the things the ER are for, not for your everyday some of the everyday utilization we're seeing in the past.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you again, by the way. Now, just one quick thing before we get into the technology uh, phase of the uh, question. Why is, and you don't have to answer this, but why do you think U.S. is more expensive versus other countries? Other countries, I have noticed, is cheaper than us. Mm -hmm. Is it because we're more advanced or are they more advanced or do you think the infrastructure is different? What What are your thought process on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we could probably spend another six hours talking about that. But um, I think to answer that question, I'm going to say what it's not. Okay. Right. I think that there, um, I'll say what it's not and then what I think, what it's not. And I think that there is a, a huge misperception or you know, that it's because of, uh, you know, because of capitalism or, right. you know, it's because we're not. A universal socialized payer system. Mm. I don't think that's it. I think if if you actually look at our healthcare system, it's it's fairly regulated. It's just very poorly regulated, Mm. right? Mm. Some of the regulations that are in place in our healthcare system are a direct cause of our overinflated prices. An example would be um, the uh, you know with the passage of the Affordable Care Act. There was a provision that said, um, you know, it's called a medical loss ratio. It says, you know, for every healthcare dollar spent for an insured person, you have to spend you can keep 15 percent in profit and administrative costs and you have to spend the other 85 cents on that dollar on medical claims, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Well, when your profit and these are profit seeking entities, yes, when your profits are capped at a percentage of a variable. The only way to increase shareholder value, which you have a legal, legal obligation to do, is to increase that variable. Hmm. So we've perversely incentivized healthcare companies that are we think are there to lower the cost of our healthcare, like insurance companies. The only way they make more profit and revenue is when the cost of healthcare goes up, hmm. Hmm. Right? right? So, right. so that's just an example of. A, a way in which we've regulated and poorly regulated the industry that led to increased costs, hmm. or costs. I mean, and and another way of looking at this is if you were to say, "Oh, it's because you know capitalism and it's a free market," and you know, the healthcare healthcare system in the United States is really the antithesis of a free market. Hmm. Nobody knows what the price of a service is. That's right. You don't get to choose where you go. Right. That's right. Um, for most, I mean, for some shoppable services you do, but if you don't know the price, how can you, how
0: can you, there's
1: no, um, really central location where we can look to high quality ratings, right? There's no consumer report for a healthcare system. Um, so I think it's, I think that's not the case, not the cause. I do think that, um, the market's broken, Hmm. the market's broken, but it's working for those that are benefiting from it. Mm. Those that are benefiting from it are the big hospitals, the insurance carriers, the pharmaceutical companies, and all of the middlemen in between, like brokers, consultants, et cetera. They're fine. They're doing quite well, actually. If, if you look at any major city in the, in the country and you see where the cranes are, they're probably building a new hospital with a glass atrium. That's they're doing they're great, great mm, right? Mm. Um, who's not doing well? The US patient, right? One in six people experience medical debt right Mm -hmm. um people are hurting they're not getting good care and and oh by the way we're not getting healthier right Mm -hmm. so um i think that the market's broken and i i think that there's no lack of innovative ideas and solutions i think that there's a crisis in leadership to Mm -hmm. get us to that future state
0: yeah i think uh we're we're living in in a in a financial world crisis also when it comes to healthcare, for example if I spend on whatever I'm doing okay something serious not a uh, you know a ankle sprain or something like that uh, I would get maybe twenty thousand thirty thousand dollar balance uh, from the medical and I have no way to go and pay that off or get even a monthly uh, payment also so i mean th- we're living in a crisis world when it comes to that because people are fixed with a monthly uh, aspect and they never look at the other side that you know we do need some uh what is the uh, extra money in, in in our banks to do that so right. uh so yeah thank you again for that now regarding technology next week's episode on back to basics
1: like this on screen with a physician or a therapist um has been really promising. I just, my cautionary note there is like, I think that there can be a lot of value uh, derived from technology and tech enabled healthcare. The question that I think we need to make sure that stays at the forefront is who's gonna be the beneficiary of that value. Hmm. Hmm. Is it gonna be private equity? Is it gonna be the major legacy players that just take one, you know, money out of one pocket and keep it in another? You know I saw as I was driving um, down a, a local route here an advertisement um, for an emergency room a major hospital in the area with notoriously high uh, reimbursements rate, reimbursement rates um, emergency room virtual care right I happen to know that that hospital they're playing the market because